Welcome to Recovery Plus Podcast. Fuck yesterday, focus on today. I'm your host, Dr. Mainly Hannon. Here, we celebrate and honor people in recovery one conversation at a time. Let's talk. Welcome back. This is episode 12. My next guest is Dan Reeves, who is looking at between 6 to 20 years in an Indiana prison. Now, he is seven years sober, a sponsor, a yoga instructor, and a co-founder of a group hosting men's recovery retreats grounded in 12 steps in spirituality, supporting others seeking a life beyond addiction. Take a listen. Welcome, Dan, to my podcast. So good to have you here. Oh, well, thank you so much for, uh, for inviting me. So I never pass up an opportunity to uh, carry this message when asked. Excellent. So we'll just start. Tell us a little bit about your story. Well, you know, uh, when I have on my podcast, I back people up uh, to their childhood. And sometimes that's something that seems to be uh, uh, overlooked. We'll start out maybe when we first started drinking and things. But uh, I, I, I had a take it to the grave experience when I was a small child. And, uh, and, and I was never going to tell anybody about that. Uh, it was uh, some homosexual activity with a really good friend of mine. Mm-hmm. And it went on for a while, and we were very, very young. I mean, like preschool age. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I got into school, and the first thing I started hearing from my peers is what I was doing was wrong. And and, and I, what I heard was, you won't be hanging around with us mm-hmm. if you're one of them. And, um, and, and I'm not, and not that I haven't, you know, again, there's no thing here, but that wasn't who I was, but mm-hmm. I still held on to that. And I think that's the first thing that after doing my step work that, that I drilled back to, uh, starting to, to put shame on myself, you know, and, and put that layer that, that kept me separate from everybody else. I think that's a common bell ringer from people that, sure. uh, are in recovery is there's some element of, uh, either not feeling comfortable in their own skin or never felt a part of. You know that that or both those kind of things, and I and I and I walked back and look at where that you know I was actually able to look at where that started and then understand it, and also know that it's not uh, I'm not alone there. That's right. uh, and and that's a big thing about uh, mutual support groups like uh, Alcoholics Anonymous is that you get to find out that uh, you're not the only one. I had a great childhood. I had two wonderful parents. My father, my 84 year old father, lives with me right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and he modeled everything for me that, a, that a good father could model. I mean, I am talking like a trophy type mm-hmm. fatherhood, yeah. fatherhood, the guy, mm-hmm. he exposed me to all kinds of healthy activities. I mean, you name it, I tried it. If I didn't like it, I was never forced to, you know, I never was forced to stay on the football team. If I didn't like it, I, we mm-hmm. tried something else, you know, mm-hmm. and it was just wonderful. I look back, uh, on that you know so i know a lot of people come in here with a horrible childhood or something in between horrible and okay um and 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 that's certainly uh part of the trauma i think that starts us down this path uh but i can't do that that's not for me you know that's Mm -hmm. not my i don't have that i had the perfect upbringing i mean and and i say that with a certain thing because i i look at something the first time i went through the steps i was unable to look at my parents unable to not even you know because when we're working the steps we're looking at causes and conditions sure. so it's not a blame game that they're at fault for something but that's i'm i'm mostly what the two people who spent the most time with me right you're a product <laughs> uh, of your made, parents I'm a, right yeah and i couldn't do that because i would have told you the same story i just told you but the fact of the matter was my mother has uh 
been addicted to uh, opiate painkillers for a long, long time. Uh, I, I didn't even know how long until she passed away and dad started telling me stories of mm -hmm. them driving around the country. That was the way they took their vacations and they'd be stuck in some town waiting for mom's prescription. And I know that is not, you're not waiting for your protonics heartburn medication, <laughs> medication right. and you're not waiting for uh, most medications. What you sit in a town and wait for is, uh, are these opiate type uh, medications. Absolutely. And that's where I got my first ones. You know, I went, uh, drinking was normalized in my family. You know, people had beers at Easter and mm -hmm. uh, uh, I'm, I'm half Catholic and half Methodist and, um, and, but I didn't see drunkenness. I don't remember growing up once in a while, dad would have a get together or something like that, or we'd be someplace and there would be this isolated incident of one person getting out of control, you know, mm -hmm. but I didn't really see that. And also, uh, I, I have a list of like the top 10 lies that we tell ourselves. And one of them is that, uh, that won't ever happen to me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right. uh, and, I'm not like and, them. Yeah. And, you know, doing the kidding around stuff where, you know, you can take dad would let you have a sip off the top of his beer, you know, mm -hmm. and uh, and I'm not sure that started this stuff. But it, what it, if the very least it normalized that that that, sure. that sitting around having beers with the boys was a normal thing a man does. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I was aiming to someday be a man. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, I started sneaking them, you know, uh, but I wouldn't get enough to do much you know i'd take one out of the refrigerator and there's more to show off like to the other kids you know snatch it and go hey look what i got you Fit know? In, right and uh and but you know there was a snow day in 19 uh i don't well i can't remember the year exactly but i was like in the seventh grade and uh, my mom and dad worked all day and my buddy called me up early in the morning and said hey your mom and dad's gone all day right and i said yeah they, they work all day and he said uh how about if we get some beer and come over and drink it at your house and uh, you know, down inside of me, and many times I'll say this as we talk, there was these, these times where this inner self, this higher self, my gut, mm -hmm. my higher power, I don't know really what the label of that is, said, Dan, you probably ought to not do that. <laughs> <laughs> but I would override those things because sure. of, uh, I wanted that fellowship. Uh, if those guys would ask me to do anything they asked me to do that day, I'd have probably said yes. If they said, let's go play basketball, if they said, come over and play Monopoly, if they said, let's go sledding, mm -hmm. uh, I'd, I'd have been in. And they, they just so happened to say, let's get some beer and drink it. And that was the first time I remember getting drunk. Um, and we sit down here. At my, I'm actually sitting at the very table right now that we're doing this podcast on. It's the same table wow. uh, that 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 day was. The same room. Uh, mm -hmm. I've since bought my mom and dad's house. This mm -hmm. is the house that I grew up in, and uh, and I remember the first couple of beers, and I don't remember anything until mom waking me up in bed and it was dark out, and uh, and you know that that turned out to be another habit I would have of overshooting the mark. Uh, I, I, I didn't handle my alcohol very well <laughs> and, uh, the guys did a good job of cleaning it up. And apparently they throw me in the shower and rinsed me off and, and cleaned up where I throwed up and, and got all the evidence out of here and they boogied mm -hmm. and left nothing, you know? So I was able, I got away with it, you know? And, and, and I, and I remember the horrible feeling too, that when mom woke me up and I thought, man, if this is what that is, I'm not going to do this again. Oh. And uh, and it wasn't long before I was looking, and, and I know today that most of my chasing that was uh, chasing fellowship. 
connection. It was it was the connection. Yeah. To to uh, I, I rarely uh, until you know the disease took me down after a while. But I rarely was I wasn't drinking alone. I was doing it in social situations, and that's what we did. Even though you know I find it hard to believe that I was riding a bicycle. You know, still back then. <laughs> and then of course when I got a car, and my buddy started getting cars. That's all we did, you know, uh, on the weekends, we would take off and, and I got exposed to, uh, well, I got exposed to marijuana about the same way as the beer. Mm-hmm. And uh, you could do that easy. I could get away with that easier than I could get away with the drinking. Sure. Uh, I, I wonder about that today as I walk around and smell it on everybody mm-hmm. I see at the grocery store. And I wonder <laughs> if I got away with it as well as I thought I was. But uh, one thing for sure, the dope man didn't check your ID. You know, and so we have we have packaged liquor stores here in Indiana, and you had to go to a liquor store to get served to get beer, mm-hmm. and uh, that wasn't always easy. We would stand outside the liquor stores and ask people, you know, hey, will you buy? Sure. Will you buy for me? Will you buy for me? Uh, I, I don't know if I ever got approached doing that. You know, today I think uh, you know uh, we would get told no, but somebody would eventually go in there and buy our liquor for us. Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, you wait long enough. Yep. Yep. And sometimes we get run off, you know, they say, we're calling, you know, somebody with some morals and say, no, we're calling the police, you know, you, mm-hmm. and we went down the road on our bicycles or whatever we were doing. Um, I'm reading this book called Dreamland, uh, Sam Quinones, Q-U-I something, Quinones, and he's, he's walking back this opiate epidemic thing and, uh, you know, and, and it's opening up some stuff like it's it's changing some of my thoughts right now. <laughs> like in the last couple of days, I listen to audio books. Mm-hmm. And uh, another thing that I did, I was a really accident prone. And uh, and I remember like being in the emergency room over a broken leg or a sprained ankle or stitches or whatever. And the doctor's asking basically asking my mother, do we need pain medication? Do we, does he need pain meds? Uh-huh. And the answer was always yes. And that comes back to some of this. And I remember getting home and I'd be taking care of my pain would get taken care of for the first day or so. Mm-hmm. And then I'd be told that I really didn't need them anymore, you know, and, and I know where they went today, you know, but it took me a lot to put all that piece of the puzzle together. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but I wonder about those early exposures to those kind of drugs and then that ended up being ultimately what took me down at the end was the opiates. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll get to that in a little bit. But but I, at the same time, I'm having these little doses of a drug that I really liked. Right. <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. and, and we see, we know, I think, and I'm not a medical professional. My sponsor is. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, the more we're learning about how that rewires your brain Absolutely. When, you, when you're doing that. And, uh, and, and that's what I mean about changing things. Cause I, it's adding on. And another thing, I just got off the phone with him a minute ago and I was like, what the truth of the matter is, it doesn't really matter how I got here. <laughs> what matters is that I have this solution in my hand now and I know how to go forward with it. You know, right. I know what to do to keep that in remission, mm-hmm. uh, mm-hmm. for the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. I got a DUI when I was 16. My first one, I didn't have my driver's license, but about six months. They sent me to AA. I had to get like go to three meetings, and they sent me some alcohol awareness stuff. But once mm-hmm. again, you know, uh, you got the wrong guy. You know, uh-huh. this is you that's know, not me. I don't have a problem. Are they kidding? Mm-hmm. Uh, and and I remember I, when I actually went back to AA. Some shoot, what is it? Thirty years later, or something with a desire to stop drinking. 
uh, I don't remember any of the things we said when I was a kid because I had another stint. Uh, so I got that DUI, uh, and I and I put a cap on it. You know, while I'm in trouble, I'm being good. I'm not getting any kind of trouble. I'd lost my driver's license, you know, and mm-hmm. uh, and I, and I'm not I'm not messing around with any any uh, dope or booze at that time. But after I got out of trouble, it was basically a celebration. You know, once I was go down there and do my six month stint and they mm-hmm. signed me off. Well, it was like a license to be okay, cool, good. We're back. Mm-hmm. Um, All of that I, behavior. Yeah. And, uh, I got kicked off the high school basketball team when I was a uh, sophomore for smoking dope on the bus. I don't, I think about, you know, we call this thing insanity. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think of the insanity. It took to think that that was a good idea, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but nonetheless, and then that ended up, I was a pretty good ball player and took that pretty seriously and, uh, really thought that it might do something for me in the long term. And, uh, but they kicked me off the team that year. And then the following year, I was unable to make the squad. Uh, I don't know if that was an, uh, one of the other one, something else, you know, they didn't, I, they didn't offer us any kind of education, any kind of anything. They just sure. expelled us, you know, and slapped our hands. Mm-hmm. And a couple of guys were seniors. They lost scholarships. You know, they wow. put our name, our names were in the local paper, you know, and we were all minors, but it, it was mm-hmm. a big deal when, uh, when, Three starting seniors, a junior, and a sophomore, me, got kicked mm-hmm. off the ball team. Uh, that that was in our local paper. Um, I couldn't make the team the next year, you know, and all those little things like that, I remember, uh, allow, you know, it helped me hit the effort button, you know, because mm-hmm. if I couldn't if I couldn't play ball, then heck with you guys, I'm just going to do what I, you know, I'll, I'll do what I want to do. Mm-hmm. Um, I got another DUI after high school at 19, same kind of thing, you know, we're up middle upper middle class you know have the ability to hire lawyers mom and dad probably mm-hmm. insulated me a little more than maybe should have mm-hmm. uh, i'm mm-hmm. a parent today too so i understand right, right. Uh, that and uh, again it's not a blame thing at all and who's to say you know uh, maybe the full force of the law would have come down on me and maybe i'd have got a couple of years in prison and maybe that didn't stop me from where i went anyway you know mm-hmm. who knows mm-hmm. um one thing I did do at that at 19 or 20 years old is I realized that if I was going to carry this on, I was going to have to do it smarter. Not you get know, caught. Not get caught. Yeah. That's a theme and, uh, that's common, isn't it? Yeah. You know, do a airplane walk down to your car before you go out at night, making sure your brake lights and your turn signals and your headlights are working because you don't want to get pulled over something that stupid. Uh, drive the God, speed limit. Crap. Stop at the stop signs. Uh do all the things that uh, we tended. I started going like uh, doing our partying out of town in the country and stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was real safe, you know, because you just didn't, you were, we would be on somebody's private property and, uh, you know, nothing was getting busted up. I don't know if we actually thought that far ahead, but, <laughs> but that's what we did. Mm-hmm. Uh, I got married. I met a girl when I was 21. <laughs> I was happy to be selling. Uh, sometime back in high school too, I got exposed. To, uh, a guy said, Hey, let's, you want to do some acid and I, it didn't make any difference. If somebody come to me like that, I, I just didn't say no. Uh, after listening to this book and like the heroin epidemic stuff, it sounds like I must've been right at the very, I, I must've caught that and, and settled down in a marriage about the time that I got into the, into my area of the country. Mm-hmm. Uh, cause I don't, I don't know how I missed it. Uh, so I was selling acid and I met this girl at this party and, 
uh, we hit it off and, and we were married for 17 years. I had a couple kids and I started putting caps on my stuff. You know, I, I had a little period where I messed around with some, some stuff. I, we met a couple that partied the way that I like to party and we kind of went off the rails together for a little bit. But when she decided she wanted to have kids, uh, she put the brakes on everything that we were, you know, we were doing everything together mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. she put the brakes on all of it. And of course, what that meant is I had to at least look like I was because <laughs> mm. I couldn't, you know, mm -hmm. I had no desire to slow down. Um, you know, there's, uh, our alcoholics not this big book says something about there were many, uh, miserable nights in our apartment or something like that. I can't remember exactly what the term of it is, but I can look back and remember hearing, you know, her getting on me about my drinking or mm -hmm. you were, you were too drunk last night. And, uh, but as long as you're telling me that, <laughs> You know, that's one of this, that's step one in this program. Mm -hmm. And when, when I can tell me that, then we can get somewhere. doesn't matter what anybody else tells me is wrong with me that's right. uh, until, until I make that decision and, and admit that to my innermost self, uh, nothing happens. And uh, I did pretty good. You know, I went to, I was 38 years old. So I had a DUI when I was 19. And then 19 years later, on my birthday, I got another DUI mm. and, uh, about that someplace in that neighborhood, you know, and one of my favorite things to say is that if I'd known I was going to be telling this story so much, mm -hmm. I'd have kept better notes back then about how it all went down. Uh, but I try to piece it together the best I can. I've sure. actually tried to put down a cr chronology like, okay, here's what happened. Here's what happened. Mm -hmm. And I can't make the dates add up. I can't make it add up. Yeah. And maybe that's part of the fuzziness and the, cause sure. it kind of looks looking backwards. It kind of looks like I'm looking through a veil. You know, mm -hmm. there's a, there's, it's kind of foggy, foggy back in yeah. there. And, and the longer I stay sober, things become clear, mm -hmm. clearer and clearer, you know, but some of it still is. Uh, and, you know, I didn't, you know, I have a good job. I had, I'd worked at a place for a long time, uh, had been promoted from a draftsman to an engineer. Uh, when I got promoted to an engineer, I stopped going to school because I didn't see any sense in, you know, I, why I go to school to be an engineer, I is one. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. And uh, those kind of things I just watch where where the where the dope and the booze uh, just put the brakes on motivation. You know, it just made me where I wasn't I wasn't motivated to better myself or mm -hmm. when I anytime I could find a loophole or some way like uh, that I could you know say okay I can take that out of my life and I can uh, don't have to worry about this anymore. Uh, and going to going to trying to go to college and then mm -hmm. ended up getting uh, promoted was one of those places. Just like whenever I was kicked off the basketball team, where I said, "Okay, well, uh, there goes that. I don't need it anymore." And what that allowed me to do was take the you know the my my alcoholism and my my uh, addiction mm -hmm. uh, had a little jump start. You know, it, right. it got a, it got its claws in me deeper every time mm -hmm. one of those things would happen. Um, as I said, my mom was a, uh, was, she did have a whole lot of medical problems. Mm -hmm. So, uh, uh, when I, when I was a little kid, I remember how, uh, all these family members came over and, uh, me and my brother was told to go play in the backyard for a little while. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, I didn't, we ran out through the kitchen and I pushed him outside and the door went open and slammed shut. And, and then I creeped back in here and listened around the corner and I heard my mom tell, uh, 
all, all of her and my dad's brothers and sisters that she had breast cancer. Mm. And, uh, and I remember that terrifying, that terrifying me, uh, because now I've listened to it and I can't get any clarification and they were kind of trying to insulate us from it. They mm -hmm. told us a little bit, but there was something inside of me that said, you know, if you're telling all those people and making me, uh, not listen, this is something bad, but then uh -huh. she just started down this path and it was just, that was the first one I remember. And then it was some other kind of cancer. And then mm -hmm. it was, she suffered from a lot of osteo kind of stuff where her bones broke and, mm -hmm. and she was just always hurt and always recovering from a surgery. And, uh, one day I come over here, they, by now I've got a th two year old and a four year old and they mm -hmm. were watching my kids. This is after that third you. I was in my, it, it was someplace in that neighborhood of late thirties. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and I noticed the drinking wasn't working for me anymore. You know, it was, I couldn't get drunk enough to feel good. And a lot of times after a few beers, and I was primarily a beer drinker, I started getting a headache after a few, you know, and, but I kept on, I could, I still drank them, you know, and I, I thought, well, maybe the next one will be the one that is the headache cure. Mm -hmm. uh, oh, well, that didn't do it. Let me try another. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and, I, and I just felt bad while I was drinking. And I know that we say that in the 12 step circles, that was part of it stopping working because I, the truth of the matter is I had a lot of fun mm -hmm. over the, the years mm -hmm. drinking and doping. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, uh, we do have that piece where we only recall the fun parts, but, uh, I really did. And I didn't get until I didn't have a lot of consequences. And then that's when I remembered stopping working. And I come by one day on a Friday afternoon to uh, pick up my kids and heck a lot of times mom would have dinner ready, you know, and mm -hmm. it, I mean, it was, a, it was really a sweet deal. And I really liked it when my kids had, well, we had free daycare and we had daycare by two people who really loved them kids. Mm -hmm. You know, I think that's important. Uh, and I was pacing around the house waiting to get the kids out of here. Cause you know, it's, kind of a wrestling match dealing one of them little kids and get them out of here. Mom and dad didn't necessarily want them, want us to leave. And mm -hmm. I remember walking back through mom, the back of the hallway that goes back to the bedrooms in this house, this house I grew up in. And I turned into mom's bedroom and I walked over and next to her bedside, you know, our bedside table were two prescription bottles mm -hmm. and I picked them both up. And I, and the only thing I can remember reading on them is that they both said for pain, you know, take this many as needed for pain and take this many as needed for pain. Permission, and I shook out, yeah. I, sh I shook out two of the little pills. I didn't read the bottles. I didn't do anything. I took out out of one bottle. I shook two pills out. And now the other bottle, I shook two pills out. And I remember looking at them and I threw the two small ones in my mouth and, and, and swallowed them and put the other two in my pocket. You know, it was sometime later that I realized those were, uh, those were Oxycontin forties. Wow. So I just taken 80 milligrams of oxycodone mm -hmm. and, uh, and I don't know that, you know, they say this slow release stuff, but I remember within an hour, man, I was like, you know, like if I could imagine I was walking with the world tilted on an angle, mm -hmm. you know, the mm -hmm. headache from the beer fuzz mm -hmm. and, uh, everything, nothing, things just weren't right, man. And then mm -hmm. that, that, the, that oxycodone hit me and everything went bang right mm -hmm. into alignment, man. And, uh, and, I had found a secret key to keep me drinking. You know, when I, when I sit here, when I got young, I found out that that social lubricant helped me hang out with the dudes and helped me, uh, mm -hmm. help me ask the girls to dance and, you courage. know, all the cliche kind of stuff, mm -hmm. that liquid courage. Right. Uh, I had a similar kind of effect when I bumped into that, uh, 
into those uh, oxys when I, the, the opiate pain medication. All of a sudden, man, these size. And I remember taking them when I was a kid, but I remember this feeling, you know, mm, it was good, mm-hmm. but it righted everything, you know. And I remember thinking, you know, if I could get a lifetime supply of this, I would be okay. Uh, you know, that's all mm-hmm. I need. And uh, took those. I took the other two the next night. They were uh, like lower tab tens, like hydrocodone tens. And, you know, the other thing about becoming a pill addict is you start being a real detective on what's what mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh reading pill bottles from 30 feet away oh, wow. mm-hmm. uh, i joke around i said i think that i could smell them if you had them in your house i could smell them mm-hmm. uh, because when i it got to be to where when you had them in your house and i was at your house you weren't going to have them when i left mm-hmm. you know and i took those couple pills the next night uh similar but not quite as great a feeling as the night before but still good Mm-hmm. And I started coming to coming to see mom more. Now it wasn't like I didn't ever see my mom, sure. but uh, I, the 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 motivation behind why I was coming over here changed. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, she would sit me down and and you know, she would call me up. I'm her oldest son, and she'd call me up and or, or when I'd stop by, and she would talk about her missing pain pills, and that she doesn't think I'm taking. She said, I don't think I'm taking all these. Um, and I said, you know, and I know there's another little joke that goes around 12 step circles that you'll, uh, I'm the kind of friend that'll steal your drugs and help you look for them. Uh, I did that with my mom and I just, the level of, cause that is not who I am. Right. That is not who I am. That is what this disease turned me into. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it really does. It robs your soul. It, it, alcoholism, addiction. I don't really, I don't really put a big divider between the two of them. Uh, and she got a lock box and started putting them in there. And that kind of made me like, dang, but I knew I'd defeat that lock box before long. She would leave the combination on it. And she did. And I knew the combination. And that was really puzzling to her when they were disappearing and she had them locked up, right. but she never pointed a finger at me. Not good little Dan. He didn't do something like that. And, uh, and and this con artist, this uh, camouflage we put on when we're doing this deal, uh, you know, that ends up layering on a person too uh, over the years, you know, because when I finally end up uh, backed into a corner deep enough that I w- was needing to change, the layers of me that had to come off, wow. you know, and I can only see that standing here today, right? Mm-hmm. When it was then, all I, I can connect the dots behind me. But I can't, uh, it takes a little while. You got to look in a rearview mirror to see that happening. And I think about that kind of stuff as some of the stuff that continued to place them layers of this yuck on me that more and more turned me into who I wasn't. Who you weren't. Mm-hmm. So I ended up every aunt, uncle, grandma, grandpa, uh, your grandma, if I could get <laughs> in her house, uh, had these stashes of pills sitting around in medicine cabinets and in kitchen counters. You know, they were... I, I'm still surprised about how often I would go to somebody's house and I would poke around for a minute and find what I find some. Um, I ended up doing it where I would sneak in in houses where people weren't home that I didn't know. That's mm-hmm. uh, that's I, you know this is funny too because I can't say this word. That's also known as burglary. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, I have trouble saying that word. It's kind of funny. I, I laugh at it because when people come into Alcoholics Anonymous new, you know, a lot of times they if that's especially if it's one of the first times they're saying hi, my name is Dan and I'm an alcoholic, they'll stumble over that alcoholic word. They'll I'm alcohol. You know, they'll mm-hmm. stumble on it. You know, and that really that to me is this 
entity that lives in us that doesn't want to say that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, Alcoholic is not that hard a word to say, and burglarly isn't either, but I have trouble saying it. I found a guy across the street, there's an old man, and I went over, she called me, you know, I said I'd lived on this street for 40 years or something on and off. And uh, the old guy had one of the motorized wheelchairs and he fell out of it. Mm-hmm. And uh, she called, she, you know, cause I was a pretty good feller overall. <laughs> <laughs> you know, all this is going on underneath of me, but nobody knows that I'm doing all this. Everybody knows this other Dan, who's pretty helpful, has mm-hmm. held a job for a long time. Uh, you know, uh, kept himself looking good, you know, wore khakis and button downs and uh, kept my hair short back then. And uh, <laughs> Did you pretend me, to be sober? Yeah, I pretended to be sober. I say that. That's one of the things I say, and especially when I first started getting help, I continued to pretend to be sober when I was in. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's my whole life was pretending to be sober. Now, I could let the cat out of the bag if we had a Saturday night NASCAR race or Super Bowl Sunday, you know, mm-hmm. there's certain events that you don't have to keep the cap on it. Uh, and, right. but, you know, you know, it's another lie that we tell ourselves. Everybody was doing it. This <laughs> <laughs> right. uh, old so guy went over there and he had fell out of his chair and she asked if I'd come over and pick him up, help him get back in it. And, and I said, sure. And I ran across the street and I helped him up, man. And I saw this kitchen, this table full of medication. I don't know how, you know, it was a kitchen table. Probably had, I don't know, 40 or 50 medicine bottles sitting on the table. Oh, jackpot. Uh, that was, that was, I was kind of used to that because that's what my mom's medicine supply looked like by now, oh. too. You know, uh-huh. she had so many pill bottles and stuff. And, you know, not all of it was what I was looking for. But uh, there's a, around here, there's a, they, they take a grease pencil and they mark on the uh, label of a pill bottle when it's one that is a controlled substance because they have to card you and whatever. And I, I think that was a system they had around here for a while. So you you seen that grease pencil black mark on a label, you knew that's what you wanted. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I saw some of them, you mm-hmm. know. So I, that very day, I uh, conned them into another room. You know, they're both mobility limited. And, uh, and I conned them into another room and then excused myself to use the restroom real quick and slip through there and grab some of them. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I'm over there to help, but I'm also like, you know, the book talks about the Jekyll Hyde thing. You know, mm-hmm. I'm over here doing a good deed in one hand. And on the other hand, I'm wiping out your pain meds. Mm-hmm. Uh, <clears throat> I was going around and, and hit or miss in houses and I wasn't getting caught. Uh, I, I did some, you know, I would follow you home from the grocery store if you had a arm in a sling or something like that, figure out where wow. you lived uh-huh. and then scope you out because those people had payments, uh, especially if they were older mm. and uh, slip, you know, go in, break in their house when they leave and, and take them. Uh, but this guy across the street, I started going there on a regular basis. I'd slip over there and I'd go over and just talk with them sometimes in the beginning and just be a friendly neighbor and con myself in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then there was times, there was a time once when they were, I walked over there and it was dark. It was, and uh, I could hear them and they had Jeopardy on TV very, very loud. And they had their scooters pulled all the way up to the TV because they can't hear their old people. Right. And they pulled all the way up to it. And their door wasn't locked. And I I went in the house and walked right past the back of them while they were watching TV, got what I needed, and left again. Wow. Um, and I would go over there at night while they were sleeping. And I would go in the house while they were asleep, twinkle toe back through the house, 
the one thing that happened to medicine was out all on a front kitchen table kind of when I first started doing this. Mm-hmm. It, it moved back and back and back. And by now it's in a drawer in the old man's bedroom. And I would go back there and he'd be sleep watching TV in the glow of the TV. And I would open that drawer and shake some out. I never wiped him out. I never took them all. I would just take some of them, mm-hmm. put them back in there and then leave. And one, uh, it's actually June 18th of 2014. I had a new girlfriend. Uh, I'll back up a little bit. Uh, 2011, I walked into AA cause I thought I needed to stop drinking and I didn't know how. And I was in a fight with my wife and, uh, she was beginning to, she frankly didn't know what was wrong with me. Uh, when, when we had a big fight and I walked up to her and I told her, I uh, said, she said, what in the F is wrong with you, Dan? Mm-hmm. And I said, I think I'm an alcoholic. And she smiled. And I'll never forget that. And I, and I know what that, that was. Okay. Now we have a problem we can work on, you know, that's good news, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> when mm-hmm. I don't know what's wrong with you and you're just a a-hole, mm-hmm. uh, mm-hmm. she didn't know. She just thought our marriage was collapsing. Well, mm-hmm. it was being stolen by alcoholism. And I started to go to AA in 2011 and I got a year of sobriety. I was doing really well. She supported me. I was still married. Uh, and I got my one year chip and mm-hmm. did just like I told you about my friend. I said, okay, I'm good. Uh, there's, there's a, there's a, uh, little saying that says, don't let the life AA gave you get in the way of your AA life. And so I was getting all my stuff back. And other people say, you get back problems. I started getting my stuff back, you know, and I could be the cub scout, the cub leader, and I could coach T-ball and start getting involved in my kids' lives, you know? And I told myself that that's what I'm here to do. And I don't, you know, I don't have time to hit these meetings as regularly as I used to. And that ended up hitting none of them. Right. Mm -hmm. And then before Mm -hmm. long, I have no recovery. You know, I'm not talking to anybody. Uh, I'm just Mm -hmm. grinning, barren it, trying to stay sober. And, um, and my wife was messing around with, uh, she went down to native American lady down in Alabama and learned how to do herbal medicine and Mm -hmm. things like this. So she had a couple of bottles of liquor and we, she even talked about it. That I'm gonna have these because I these I can make tinctures. Is that gonna be a problem for you? And I said, no, that's not gonna be a problem for me. And uh, plus, I'm a beer drinker, and that was hard liquor, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Any mm-hmm. excuse will do. And I ended up uh, doing the classic uh, what we call phenomenon of craving, man. And mm-hmm. I thought I could have a Dixie cup of that stuff one night while I was paying bills, and uh, and started running away with me. And then I really needed, did have to start pretending to be sober. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, I, I couldn't tell anybody this stuff had its hooks in me again. And it was that easy. It was a drink. Of, it was a Dixie cup size of brandy <laughs> that made it to where I needed more of tomorrow and a tomorrow and tomorrow. And I'm back to daily drinking within a week or two. Mm-hmm. And uh, and now I'm gone to hard liquor because it's easier to hide than a bunch of beer cans mm-hmm. and to drink. Uh, and uh she found out about it and she had known sober Dan for a for a year and really got to like sober Dan. Mm-hmm. And when drunk Dan come back, uh, she was that the, the chick was up. She was not going to give uh, drunk Dan one more chance. And I don't blame her for that. Uh, matter of fact, I <laughs> wonder if that shouldn't happen more often. Mm-hmm. <laughs> these, these people stay together trying to help somebody who's can't use your brand to help. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she divorced me. That's another one where the lid come off some more, you know. So once that happened, why should I quit drinking? Uh, 
What's the point? Know, I've, I've, I've right. lost everything. Uh, the divorce was final. Uh, I worked for a place that sent me all over the world doing working on boilers uh, for the for the power industry. And uh, a couple of days after I had after my divorce was final, they sent me to Bangkok, Thailand for uh, for three weeks. And uh, when I left, I was actually made another run at 90 days sobriety. I've been sobri- I went I went to rehab and I got clean mm-hmm. and I was 90 days sober and I made it four days in Thailand without drinking. But I was only going to do it there. You know, once I get home, the addiction you know, stops in yeah, Thailand. Was, right. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. The uh, you know, I, I joke around about this, too, that, uh, you know, I have a couple different sobriety dates. Are you asking me for my domestic sobriety <laughs> date or my over? <laughs> And I said I wasn't going to drink anymore, and mm-hmm. I got off the, uh, I got on the airplane, and I was going to stop. And the, the gal walked up and said, uh, "Mrs. Re- Mr. Reeves, what would you like to drink? Uh, gin and tonic. I'll stop when I get off this plane." Mm-hmm. Uh, this was long ago, enough ago. So I'm flying home, and and that's like thirty hours to get home, and. Uh, I remember as we are approaching, as we're, we're, we're as we're coming down for the landing, uh, I remembered that I, this was long enough ago that I, they had refills on your pain meds, and so I'd had a year sober, and somehow or another I looked in my Walgreens app and I had a refill for pain meds for Lortab tens, thirty of them, wow. and uh, like I said, some of this stuff doesn't add up, but I remember doing it, so I had it swapped in my phone to the 24 hour Walgreens. But by the time I met, my dad was there with both my kids to see me after being gone for three weeks. And I said, dad, uh, I need to, uh, I ran out of medication while I was over there and I need to run by the Walgreens on our way home. And it's like midnight. And, uh, and I ran by and I got some more and it just kept on coming. Every time I told myself I was going to stop. And, you know, once I started getting those, the doctors aren't giving those to me anymore. Uh, I have to mm-hmm. get them someplace else. And once again, I'm going over here to this guy's house to get him. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, it's back to that June the 18th of 2014. I was dating a girl and her kid was here spending the night with my kids. And everybody would have went back and went to sleep. And we're sitting on the couch watching TV and I'm drinking a beer. When I met her, I told her even if I met her at a bar mm-hmm. online with an online thing. And I told her when we met because I got to the bar and she wasn't there. And I don't know what to do besides buy a beer. And I was mm-hmm. sitting there drinking a beer, and she sat next to me, and I said, uh, you know, I really shouldn't be drinking this. And she said, why not? And I said, well, I'm an alcoholic. And she said, well, why are you drinking it? And I don't know why I'm drinking it, because that's what you do. When you're an alcoholic, that's what you do. You drink. Well, you're either in recovery or you're not. Mm-hmm. And um, she's over here at my house, and I say, I'm going to be back. I remember exactly what I had on. I had on a tan pair of like cargo shorts. I had an orange tank top on and some croc loafers. And uh, I said, I'll be right back. And I went out the back door of my house, and I snuck around the house, and I slipped over to those people's house. Uh, by now, they were locking the door, but they left a brick under the key, uh, a key under the brick out of the front of the house. Uh-huh. <laughs> for, uh, uh-huh. So I get that, and I walk back in there. And I do the same thing, man. I tippy-toe back in there. The old man's watching TV. I open the drawer. I get the pills out, identify them, shake them out in my hand. And this time I turn around to a silhouette standing behind me with a pepper spray can and a baseball bat. And it was the old guy's son. Mm. And uh, he just 
slammed me with a pepper spray right in my eyes from six inches away. And we were in a little hallway and he started to go town on me with that ball bat, but he really couldn't, uh, not in that tight space. And I just bulldozed him and went through the house and I ran out the door. And uh, if, if coming out that door, I had to turn left to go to my house, but I didn't, I turned right and I ran. And remember I said, I grew up in this neighborhood and I really think it'd be tough to catch me in this neighborhood after that many years of knowing mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. catching me in the in this neighborhood or finding me uh, would be tough. And I assumed he was chasing me. Um, I remember, I don't know, there was there was something to do with that running uh, that felt uh, outside, like a outside your body experience something. Mm -hmm. uh, I do remember when I was a kid, there was a couple, there was a year or something where I was getting chased home by bullies and I had to run home from school. Uh, and I had to go a different way every time. And I remember when they were chasing me, I'd get up on this run where it felt like my feet weren't even touching the ground. And uh, that night, I remember that feeling coming back, that that feeling from like the, that running when I was a kid. I went to somebody's back, somebody's house, found a garden hose once I figured out he wasn't chasing me and tried to wash myself off. My shirt was full of that pepper spray. It just mm -hmm. kept on wafting up. There was a, uh, I felt like mucus was coming out of every hole in my head. Mm -hmm. It's just awful. And I'm spraying my eyes out and I'm thinking, uh, I remember over and over going, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. I threw that shirt in the garbage and I kept on coming back up. And then one, but when I come back up and I could see my house, I could see flashing red lights. And uh, when I got close enough, they had a cop parked behind my house and they had a cop parked in front of my house with their lights on, you know, so if I would break that beam, if I come home, they'd see me break that beam of light. And uh, I just kept on going around and, and over and over again, not knowing what to do. I remember standing over the edge of a busy street over here, thinking about stepping out in front of a car to solve this problem. You know, uh, that seemed, but I didn't want it to be, I didn't want to be hurt. This needed to end it. It needed to be a semi-truck or something that would uh -huh. take me all the way out. Because mm -hmm. I don't know how to face what I just did. I uh, I wandered around for hours. I didn't have my cell phone on me. Uh, it's a funny thing. I, I lost, I, I think I took my vape pipe pin thing over with me, but I, I never saw it again. I don't know where it ended up. Mm -hmm. And uh, I snuck up here at one point and it was dark. You know, the cops were gone. It wasn't dark. I noticed every light in my house was on and it's late. It's got to be one, two o'clock in the morning. Yeah. And I sneak up on the house and I can't see what's going on. All the blinds are down, but the house is light. I go around the front and I peek over there and uh, uh, my mom and dad's car is in the driveway. <laughs> and this girl's car is still in the driveway. Mm -hmm. um, I don't, both of those things surprised me. Uh, I wouldn't have been, I don't know, I, I didn't come back. You know, I told that girl a minute ago, I'll be back in just a minute and disappeared. Mm -hmm. And uh, I went down and again, I sat down under a pine tree in the backyard uh, and, and I was just went all the way down on my butt, leaned against the fence and I had my knees up and my head down on my arms and I heard the back door come open. And I saw my dad coming out the back door with two big buckets and they're heavy because you can tell the way he's walking and I know what he's doing. He's going to walk down the stepping stone path that leads right where I'm at because he's going to the garbage and there's a set of stepping stones that go down through there like that. And I'm sitting there as small as I possibly can be hoping he won't see me. And I hear him sit down and those five gallon buckets jingled like glass. And I, uh, he said, Dan, is that you? Are you hurt? 
are you okay? And I remember telling him that uh, I'm okay. I think I'm okay. And uh, all of a sudden I feel his energy sit down beside me and put his leg, put his knee on my leg. And he said, uh, let's go in, hit a shower, hit the showers, hit the sack. We'll deal with this tomorrow. It's all going to be okay. And uh, that's like I was telling you, my dad just would have my back from the beginning. And um, mm -hmm. we got up, I come in the house, I figured out what dad was doing. That guy, instead of chasing me, he had ran over here and busted out the side lights in my front door and the big round window in my front door. And he come in this house and he started beating the hell out of everything in the house that he could find. Mirrors, uh, curio cabinet, glass doors, mm -hmm. uh, just started laying into that. Well, when he did that, this girl, and I know this just from the story, is back in the bathroom going to using the restroom. And all of a sudden she hears these, what she thought was gunshots because of the crashes, the bangs and the, wow. that loud noise. She runs back and uh, crouches down by the bedrooms of those kids and uh, making sure whatever comes back there, it had to get through her before uh, they could get to them. And uh, she finally ended up walking up the hallway and they came face to face in the hallway at should turn. Neither one of them have a clue who the other one is. And he, she, he says, where's he at? She goes, I don't know where he's at. He left hours ago. He said he'd be back in just a minute. And I don't know where he's at. And they separated and she, he went out the door and uh, this was right after the event. You know, he ran mm -hmm. over here. Mm -hmm. I'm off someplace in the neighborhood. And uh, that's when she found my cell phone and, found, and called my mom and dad. Uh, so I walked in the house, man, and everything's all busted up and, uh, dad's cleaning it up, you know, here's my parents cleaning up yet one more mess that I've made. Mm -hmm. And mom's eyes are all bloodshot. She's been crying. This girl's same, same state of mind. And I mm -hmm. uh, come in and I took a shower and I somehow went to sleep. And I woke up the next morning and I did my morning thing again, man. I hopped in the shower, got ready for work, put on my clothes, uh, walked out the backyard, Rolled that rock over where I'd hit all them pills last night, grabbed them up, throwed a half a dozen of them in my mouth, put the rest of them in my pocket, and went on with my day. And there's a uh, there's a line in the big book that says that you couldn't remember the memory uh, of the suffer suffering and the humiliation of a week or a month ago. Mm -hmm. And you know, and I can't remember what happened to me last night enough not to put these back in me. You know, I've just done that last night. Mm -hmm. And the first thing I do the next day is take some more. Uh, I just can't, uh, that we talk about this thing being cunning, baffling and powerful and being mm -hmm. insane. And for the longest time, I didn't hear those words at the level that I know those words to mean today. Mm -hmm. And uh, I put that girl in my car and the kids so that when she drove up the road, I got in her car and I left. And then she followed me a few minutes later in my car. So if that guy come out, I didn't want him catching me. And I stuck them in the way. And they met me down the road. Uh, I knew I was in trouble. Cops came a few times. Uh, I didn't get caught. I mean, like caught, caught. Uh, they come over and rang my doorbell a couple of times, and I and I didn't answer the door. And uh, I had just gotten out of this divorce, and again, I didn't know what to do. And somebody said, somebody told me to call my divorce lawyer. So I did. And she hooked me up with a criminal lawyer. And, you know, and I come in there and I said, I allegedly do this. And they said, stop that. Did you do it or didn't you do it? 
you know, and uh, and the guy got real, forced me to be honest with him. And he told me how it was going to go. And he said, uh, you know, in a few days, they're going to be a warrant out for your arrest and da, da, da. And we walked through that and a warrant come out. He told me to make sure I didn't get pulled over or caught. Maybe could I stay someplace else until he could get a chance to get me turned in to turn in myself because if we turn myself in. I maybe won't be in jail. We can post bond and I'll just walk right back out. Mm-hmm. And um, so that day came and I went down there and stood in front of the judge in New Omni, Indiana, uh, Judge Judge Cody. And he said, uh, amongst other things, uh, a crime you've committed is uh, the, the sentencing guidelines is six to 20 years in the Indiana Department of Corrections. Now, that caught my attention. <laughs> mm-hmm. Of all of this, uh, this catches your of attention. Of all of this, now I'm starting to hear. Uh-huh. Uh, I, I, I just didn't know how to even accept that, how to even fathom that that was where my life was going, mm-hmm. uh, that I was going to spend time in prison. They did very quickly during the pretrial conferences come down to the minimum, to six. and uh, But that's still, uh, I, I had looked for a way on that, that same suicide way out if uh because i'm not going to prison if if i if they give me time if i have the opportunity to to do something between knowing i'm going to prison and actually having to go mm-hmm. uh i'm not going oh man they do these pretrial conferences and again the timeline won't work out for some reason but i would go down and i'd have a I'd had to go down to court, go down there, and I never got to do any of it, you know, the courts and everything. I didn't never see the judge again. All I went down and sit on a bench, and they had to know I was there, and they would all go in a little room and talk about what they were going to do to me. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's my words. Mm -hmm. And uh, he would come out, explain to me what they're going to do to me, you know, and they'd come down to that six-year thing. And what I would do every day when I would get out of there, I would take my entire day off work, and the first thing I did when I left court in the morning was go get enough liquor to get uh, obliviated mm-hmm. before uh, before night. And I could, because of that guilt, shame, and remorse, mm-hmm. I couldn't handle it. Mm-hmm. So here I am sitting there staring at six to forty, six to twenty years, or let's just say six. Mm-hmm. They're telling me I'm gonna go to prison for six years. One of the things of court, you know, conditions of my bail is I don't drink and don't use, and I'm still drinking. I can't mm-hmm. stop. I have to have some in me. That's more of that pretending to be sober stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, meanwhile, I was playing around with AA again. You know, when I'm doing all this, I went into I went into a uh, another six day detox at the treatment center and signed up for IOP again, and uh, was doing that little dance. and uh, And I was going to a meeting or two a week. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, not enough, not near enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a friend of mine, some of them guys that I had back from my first run in AA, uh, I had told them what I was doing, and one of them was starting up a step study, and I was going there on Tuesday night, and then something happened, and that fell apart, and I felt like I was getting a little traction in there, man, and uh, and and it dissolved. So the guy couldn't host it anymore, and he didn't carry it on, and uh, at the very same time I got in trouble, I had a friend at work, who uh, I knew was struggling with alcoholism mm-hmm. for years and years. You know, I would look at him and think they should fire that son of a bitch. He's a no good alcoholic while I'm stopping at the liquor store on my way home. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. But I'm not like him. Mm-hmm. Well, he had uh, he had one of those trips to Thailand too, except for he was doing the pre-gaming on the way to the airport mm-hmm. and, he crashed, and he crashed into the airport. 
he crashed into the gates in the airport. That's how drunk he was between his house and getting to the oh. airport. And they, uh, they he flushed a ten thousand dollar plane ticket down the toilet for, for the company. They weren't too happy about that. Mm-hmm. And uh, and he's back in trouble again. And we're talking recovery at work. So, you know, in secret, we're talking recovery because he's going to AA and he's found this really good meeting. And uh, it's on Tuesday nights, but I have something I'm doing on Tuesday night. And even after it dissolved, I kept that lie up, you know, no. And there's an interesting thing. I've heard a speaker named Bob Earl talk about this. And it's kind of like what I was saying a little earlier is that when, when you bring me a solution, it's working for you. I'll instantly reject it. You know, I'm okay. I'm good. That, no, thank you. You know, I even do that when people bring around trays of treats and stuff at a party or something. You want a cookie? No, no, thanks. I'm, I'm good. Mm-hmm. Actually, I want the whole tray of them, but <laughs> I can't tell you that. Uh, and I'm telling this guy that, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. This meeting on Tuesday is really good. Blah, blah, blah. You know, AA is AA. There ain't no difference. Um, I, uh, I went down to one of those pre-trials one day and, uh, that Tuesday night, I really wanted a meeting, and my thing wasn't going on. I knew I, I knew AA held my held my ticket. I knew it did inside, just mm-hmm. like that little thing inside that would tell me, Dan. When I first was offered acid, I thought, Dan, you really shouldn't do that. When those guys offered me booze, I said, Dan, you really shouldn't do that. Right. And I just overrode that. But that same voice in there saying, you know, that your the solution to your problem is in there, and. Uh, so I went in there that day and I asked George, I said, Hey, is that meeting tonight? And man, his eyes lit up, you know, he was excited for me. You know, he was like, yeah, it is. You want to go? And, uh, you know, after weeks and weeks, I don't know, months of maybe telling him that I, that I couldn't, that I didn't want to uh, go with him. And I don't know why I remember this. And I don't know why I tell this as part of the story, but he, all of a sudden his head fell, you know, and he's looking at the floor and you can tell all of a sudden this look of concern come over him. And he said, oh, the church is closed tonight. And I, he said, it's going to be held in this one of the guys' basements. And I like, thought, well, I was like, well, can I still go? And he said, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I don't really know why that impacted me the way it was. I think because, like, I had the guts up to ask him, and here he's going to tell me not tonight. Mm-hmm. Uh, I finally got around to it. But I walked into this meeting that night, and we walked in the basement of this place, and uh, and I heard men talking in a way that I'd never heard before. This was not the AA that I'm used to. This is not the uh, over and over war stories. It's not the, uh, and, and I don't even know if I can explain it. What I did here was men speaking from their heart. And a lot of them were just talking about their lives and what's going on. And mm-hmm. some of them had some pretty big shit going on. Somebody had brain cancer and mm-hmm. is dealing with it, you know. And I was watching the support that this guy was getting from these other people in here. and. I'd never seen anything like that. Uh, and there was a couple of guys that shared that really touched me. And uh, so I started going to that Tuesday night meeting, but I'm still pretending to be sober. Mm-hmm. I'm still walking in and uh, and telling those guys. See, that, and this is another thing I see that worked for me. And I wonder about guys who come in, they keep coming back, you know, and we say keep coming back, but they keep coming back to the same place. What happened to me as I moved into there, I got to become a newcomer again, rather than in my OAA circles, I was a retread. 
Mm-hmm. Now I know those people welcomed me back every single time I came back and all that, but you know, that retreads in me, not in the reception I was getting, mm-hmm. but I got to walk in here as a newcomer again and have that kind of energy and not be carrying my reputation with me. Mm-hmm. And I wonder about that for guys that are like, man, maybe you should try some different, you know, some different meetings, go someplace else. This mm-hmm. isn't working. You know, this isn't working for you. Uh, try mm-hmm. a new group. Your, your home group, your your tribe is out there someplace. Just keep looking for it. Mm-hmm. And you get to have that. So I walked in there and I was telling them, oh, I've, been to, I've been going to AA for years. I got a little sobriety, uh, but I was just trying out some new meetings. And uh, <laughs> that was the hardest thing from the truth. Uh, there was a guy in there talking and uh, I could hear him. And he was talking on the frequency I heard. And I could, every time, man, I was just glued to what he was saying. And uh, I, I, I wanted that dude to be my sponsor. Uh, but I'm a, I, you know, I look like an adult, but I'm really not. What I am is a scared 12 year old little kid who can't ask mm. this man for help. Mm-hmm. And, uh, mm. but we do a thing at my group when they say, uh, every man that, uh, is willing and able to sponsor somebody through the 12 steps, please raise your hand. And these guys all raise their hands if they can handle somebody, you know, and I like that too, because now I don't have to go hit mm-hmm. the 50 50 if they're going to reject me or not mm-hmm. uh the guy but this guy didn't never raise his hand <laughs> mm-hmm. and i would go back and i remember watching uh if he was going to raise his hand and uh another tuesday come along court date and i couldn't drink again and so i carried that stuff with me all day long and it was tuesday and i knew if i didn't that if i drank i wouldn't go to the meeting and then if i didn't go to the meeting that'd be the night this guy would raise his hand and uh, that's a little bit of joking around, but I had those goofy alcoholic thoughts. So I didn't drink all day and I walked in and they do this thing at the beginning of the meeting too called a burning desire. Some groups do this and some don't. Mm-hmm. Does anybody have something that's heavy on their heart that they need to share a living situation or something else is threatening your sobriety? You had the floor first. And, uh, and I'd watch some guys model that. Matter of fact, I watched a guy model that and did that. And he come in there and told us that his brother had been shot and killed last night. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and so I saw some, I mean, this was, I, I knew how to do a burning desire and I had no plans to do one, but something was in me that day, man. And I shot my hand up and, uh, for the first time I got completely honest with all these men in there and I can see looking back at that turning point of that, like a surrendering moment. And, you know, you have multiple, I have multiple surrendering moments, but that was the first one that I, at some level, I set myself in front of the universe and opened up my garbage bucket and poured it all on the floor and showed all these people. Mm-hmm. And uh, they do like AA does, very, you know, that loving support that I don't know where else that happens, but it happens at some miracle rate in, in Alcoholics Anonymous and other 12-step programs. Uh, I remember two things. I remember a guy saying, it's my experience, if you work these 12 steps and practice these principles in your daily lives, you don't go to jail. Yeah, you know, yeah, 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 yeah. And another guy said, yeah, and if you go to jail, we'll come see you. <laughs> Hold on. Uh, after that meeting was over, we stand around fellowshipping and stuff, and it didn't take very long. The second I stood up, that guy that never was raising his hand to sponsor made a beeline at me, and I had not talked to this man before. And he walked up and said, hey, man, I really heard what you shared there in that burning desire, and I want to sponsor you. Wow. Wow. And, uh, Another one of these, I have a miracle list in my telephone of these things that I didn't do, but I do know the energy that was put out that day of that I asked the universe for help and the universe sent help. And uh, he said, 
I want to sponsor you. But, and then he started giving me, he said, you got a big book? And I said, yeah, I got a big book. He says, it's got writing in it, highlighting, anything like that. And I said, oh, yeah, it's all highlighted and underlined and stuff. And he said, get rid of it. We're going to get a new one. We're going to have a new experience here. And he said, my only time to sponsor a guy's on Tuesday nights directly after this meeting. Is that going to work for you? And he said, I want you to call me every day. Uh, that's another one. What? <laughs> every day? And he said, I want you to call me every day. And he stalled for a minute. He said, I want you to call me between one and three. I'm sitting here trying to I hope I can remember all this stuff because I can't, <laughs> I can't take notes. And, I, um, and he had this set of conditions, these what we call today ground rules. Because if you're going to sign up to work with me, I'm going to put this stuff on the table and let you understand how I do this. Because I have a recipe today. And I follow the recipe because every time I follow this recipe, I get the same results. And I don't, and, and if you're not willing to sign up for these kind of things, uh, if mm -hmm. you're going to start balking with me tonight, uh, you're not going to do that four step with me. Uh, mm -hmm. and, and it also shows to where a guy's at. And uh, that night I was completely broken down and I agreed to everything he had said. None of it's any big deal. Uh, for an alcoholic, it is. For an active alcoholic, it's a big deal. But the stuff he asked me to do was no big deal. The next day, I remember looking at that telephone, man, and not being able to make that call. Uh, but I called him at exactly 2 o'clock because that was right between, between 1 and 3. Right. <laughs> and for years, we went on with that 2 o'clock call. It was uh, it's, it's about 2.30 now. <laughs> uh, uh, and I started meeting up with him and started doing this work that I didn't think would work for me. And, you know, he's talking to me and we're going through the big book, Alcoholics Anonymous, and he's pointing and saying, you know, he told me to read it and underline the things that I question or would relate to or want to talk about. And I'm reading it and I'm underlining stuff and we'd sit down and go over it. And we did that for a few weeks, you know, and I'm like, what, you know, uh, I didn't understand the point of it, but I was putting my life in this dude's hand. So I had did, I had pushed my chips to the middle of the table and said, okay, Mm -hmm. Take me and, you know, like our third step prayer says, take me and do with me as you will. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. And I and I and I was doing that. Now, I don't know it. I'm just looking in the rearview mirror. I see that's what I was doing. But I surrendered to him. And um, my final court date was coming up and uh, we were down to three years. They were offering me three years. My buddy said, don't worry about it, man. That's only a year and a half in Indiana. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, you're not serving it. Tell right. me it's only a year and a half. And I remember thinking like almost like a pro con list or something, you know, but what I look at it, I said, well, if I go to prison, I'm not going to be able to make my house payment. So I'm going to lose my house. I'm going to go to go to prison. Uh, I won't be able to see my kids and they're going to hate me and I'll never see them again. You know, I've already been divorced. I got a wonderful piece of property that me and my brother and dad own out in the country. And if I go to prison, that's gone. And, you know, and I was looking at all this and going, you know, I'm going to come out of, I'm going to come out of prison, a felon starting with nothing. And, uh, you know, I, I, I don't, I don't, I don't know how to, I don't know how to reconcile that. Uh, every time I would go down that path with my sponsor, he would bring me back to the work. You know, he would listen to me for a couple of minutes and then we'd be back talking about recovery or we'd be talking about my next assignment or when mm -hmm. we going to meet again. And he kept on redirecting me back away from that stuff and said, just do this work and let's see what happens. Just do this work and let's see what happens. He told me about a guy that had a whole bunch of felonies that uh, did this work. And he even introduced me to him one night and he didn't spend, he didn't spend any time in jail. You know, he didn't go to prison and he's using this guy as an example for me. See, mm -hmm. this guy did that. You know, don't, don't be so set that you're going to do that. You don't know what's going to happen. We don't mm -hmm. know what's going to happen. 
And uh, he's, I'd asked for home incarceration once before at the request of my sponsor. He said, well, did you talk to him about home incarceration? So I did. And they said, they're not going to let me do home incarceration in this house because you got caught breaking in that house. Mm-hmm. And uh, he uh, come up with an idea a little bit later. And he said, why don't you ask him if you can do it someplace else? Well, it didn't dawn on me that you do home incarceration someplace besides home. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that didn't, uh, <laughs> didn't make any sense to me. And he said, you, can, you know, is there any place you could go? Uh, we could do it in one of these men's recovery homes here around town. There's a bunch of them. And they, they, the guys do that all the time. They spend their home incarceration in a men's recovery place. That didn't sound too good to me, but it sounded better in prison. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I called a lawyer one day, and I hated that. You know, I followed those directions to go ask him, but we'd already been down this path, and I asked the lawyer. I said, hey, I want to talk about home incarceration again. He said, we've already talked about that. I said, yeah, but, you know, uh, my sponsor really wants me to ask if maybe I could do that someplace else. And the lawyer kind of bell went. He said, well, okay, I'll ask. I don't think it's very likely, but I'll ask. And uh, I didn't hear from him for a couple of weeks. And uh, and I told him I had worded it up. My mom and dad were going to allow me to move back home and do it there if the judge had let me. Sure. And, uh, and he uh, he called me just a couple of weeks later, and he said, hey, yeah, they're, they're, they're game with that. Where are you going to do it? And just out of the blue. Now, they don't know what's going on, mm-hmm. but I've been doing this work, and all of a sudden— after not being, you know, after not working with me and not working with me and not working with me, all of a sudden they're ready to let me do home incarceration someplace else. And uh, so that was another item in my miracle list Mm -hmm. I keep that, uh, Mm because I I really didn't, I was having trouble keeping room in my mind for that to be, for that to happen. My sponsor constantly encouraged me to not close my hand on what I think is going to happen. And um, so I arranged that and, uh, about a week before the sentencing date where I thought I would end up needing to move, uh, I went over to mom and dad's house to start cleaning up the back bedroom. I'm 45 years old, moving back in home. And uh, my mom had told me she was off the pills or I would never have arranged that deal to go stay with them. Uh, and and she had, from all from all I could tell, of course, I'm not over poking around looking for pills anymore, but... Mm-hmm. Uh, all I could tell she was. Mm-hmm. And when I walked in the house that day, mom was sitting in a recliner with her chin down against her chest, nodded off in that classic opiate mm-hmm. deal that we do. Uh, and I looked and I saw that medicine bottle sitting right beside her in the end table by her, by her chair. And, uh, and I, you know, panic, boom. Cause I know I'm not staying sober in this house if those pain pills are in here. I won't be able to do that. I already proved to myself that I don't have the power to not use. Mm-hmm. And uh, dad would come by and I was already heading back out the house, hoping I'd get out before anybody saw me. And he, where are you going? Where are you going? I said, uh, he said, I thought you was going to come over here. And I said, I'll be back later. And that voice come across me again, man. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. And a bell went off that I had one thing to do today. I had a tool. Didn't have me tools. I have one. Call your sponsor. Mm-hmm. And I called him up. And, you know, he said, you're not going to really be able to go back to the till and explain to the judge things have changed. We got a pretty sweet deal here, and we don't want to go back from something else. And he said, you're just going to have to man up and, and deal with this until we can get you out of there. And we'll get you into a men's recovery center or something, but you're going to have to, you know, you're just going to have to stick it out. He said, but uh, until you're sentencing, I would uh, pray for God to support your recovery. Don't ask for anything special. Don't tell him what to do like we always do. God, here's what I need you to do. Uh, 
just pray simply for him to support your recovery. So I go down to the place to the, and mom goes with me. Mom insists on going with me to the sentencing. And, uh, and I had a number of AA people in there too that went with me. And uh, they took me back in this room to sign all the plea agreement paperwork. And then they take you out in front in the, you know, in the courtroom and mm-hmm. do it formally. But we've already agreed to it and signed it back in the back room. And then mm-hmm. they go out there and court report it, slam the gavel, do all that. Uh, I go back in that back room and I'm reading my paperwork and it says, uh, it's what I thought, you know, it said three years. I'm still getting sentenced to three years. One of them was going to be a home incarceration. One was probation. And then the third one was going to be suspended if I did the other two, you know, pending successful completion of the two years of Uh Uh home incarceration and probation. So I was getting a pretty sweet deal uh, considering where I started at. And uh, I'm reading it and it says you will do three years years in the Indiana Department of Corrections, one year to be served uh, on on home incarceration at the following address. And the paperwork had my home address on it. Didn't have mom and dad's address on it. And that spun me again, you know, because I'm, that's not right. You know, I'm going to tell these people they've made a mistake. Hold on a minute, you know, and I don't even remember going out in the courtroom and getting the formal sentencing. I I do not contain that memory in my head, Mm -hmm. Uh, but spinning. And it's just alcoholic insanity is what, you know, I was bogged down on that bad paperwork. And how do I tell them that? And uh, that same thing about don't know what to do, don't know what to do. And I walked out of that courtroom and I knew one thing to do today, call Christopher and uh, told him what happened. And he started laughing at me. I, I just couldn't see this stuff at the time. And that's one of the values of the sponsorship thing, man. He's got a pair of eyes that he sees things from a different direction than I do. Time and time again, even here at seven and a half years sober, I'll mm-hmm. talk to him and he'll point me at something that you know, give me some different perspective than I have. And he said, uh, he started laughing and he goes, Dad, what have you been praying for all week? And it dawned on me that I'd been praying for God to support my recovery, and he moved a damn address so I didn't have to go stay where it wasn't safe to stay. Now, I had some people in AA tell me this is a a program of uh, honesty and that I should march down there and tell them that they'd made a mistake. And uh, my sponsor simply said that would be undoing God's work. Mm -hmm. And so I got to do my home incarceration here. And I'll I'll tell you what, home incarceration uh, is not as bad as it sounds. For a guy, whoops, that's on home incarceration, I didn't spend much time here. I can tell a hundred stories, but I'll go slower in. I will move through it. Most time they lock a guy down for 30, 15, 30 days in home incarceration, and you really have to do home incarceration mm-hmm. for a little bit. My sponsor told me to take a list of meetings and all the every, write down everything that you're doing, like taking your kids to scouts, your daughter mm-hmm. to dance, and write down a complete menu of meetings Schedule. you're going uh-huh. to. And I am going to those. I really am. I'm not lying about it because my sponsor's got me going to a meeting every day. And uh, and I take them down there thinking, Christopher, you don't understand how home incarceration works. You know that word home? Mm-hmm. Uh, that means your ass is at home. And uh, and I took it down there and uh, they called out, the, the corrections guy called, they also assigned you like a social worker kind of person. You got a corrections person and a, social worker type of person and uh a lady come i remember him calling he said uh janine we got a problem here can you step down here and talk to us for a minute 
And I'm thinking, oh my God, you know, they're going to take me straight to jail just for even asking if I could take all this work, <laughs> if I could do all this stuff. Mm -hmm. And she come around the corner and she looked at, she talked to me for a minute. You know, she said, are you really going to these meetings? I said, yeah. And I spoke to her for a minute. She handed the paper back to him and said, hey, yeah, let him do all this stuff. Uh, taking his recovery, stopping, putting the brakes on his recovery right now would be the worst thing we could do. And uh, that lady became another angel in my life, and she just supported me every time. It's hard to walk that path with home incarceration, man. And they didn't give me no handbook. Um, mm -hmm. I was scared to death I'd mess it up by accident. You know, I knew I was trying to do everything I could on purpose. I had a breathalyzer in my house. It was mm -hmm. the only hard wire come in was upstairs, and the breathalyzer talked to my ankle bracelet. So every time I walked in the door, it hollered for me, and I'd mm -hmm. have to go blow in it and send the the results downtown, take sure. your picture and all this. And, uh, and she would protect me time and again. I remember one time they uh, got on me. I was, uh, I'd left the house 30 seconds early one morning. Uh, and oh yeah, I was heading to go see him. <laughs> <laughs> and he called me on to the, called me down and, and he was dead serious. I best I could tell about getting in trouble for that. You know, at that same time, my mom uh, had a soldier, soldier, shoulder surgery mm -hmm. and uh, she had a stroke uh, in, uh, in, uh, in, uh, during the operation. Mm -hmm. uh, I went down to talk to the doc to see what he messed up, you know, and I'd had to get permission from home incarceration people to be able to go do that. And uh, so I go down there and I want to pull up on this doctor about what, what did he do wrong. And man, he stopped me dead in my tracks. And he said, we had no idea your mom had that many narcs on board when she went under. Oh. So she's piling on pain meds and not telling anybody. And he, she said that, he said that, you know, those narcotics and anesthesia, mm -hmm. uh, that's a recipe for a stroke. And uh, so here I've got a, a mom and she lost all her movement on her left side. She couldn't talk, she couldn't swallow. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I'm wearing an ankle bracelet and can't help at the level that I would like to, sure. you know. And there was a couple of times when dad got her home and he would call me at two, three o'clock in the morning and mom fell out of bed and he couldn't get her up. And I would call down to the home incarceration, which the message machine said, you are not allowed to leave messages on this machine. And I thought, well, why do you have a machine? <laughs> uh, and I'd leave a message saying, hey, here's what happened. And I'll call you back as soon as I get back. And I would run over and help them get mom back up in the bed. And I'd come back home and I'd call them back and I'm home. And they knew I was home because the breathalyzers mm -hmm. would call for me and all that kind of stuff. And when they would want to come down on me that get, uh, about that, Janine would always be there uh, mm -hmm. to block for me. Mm -hmm. uh, she turned into, she's a friend today. Mm -hmm. uh, I walked at home incarceration out, uh, worked these steps. In four months, uh, my sponsor took me through the steps. And, uh, and, and I had what we talk about that spiritual awakening as a result of this stuff. Mm -hmm. And although I was walking around with an ankle bracelet on my ankle, uh, I was free. I felt a level of freedom inside me. Uh, I, I said, you know, Floyd County Community Corrections don't believe I'm free, but I'll tell you now I am free. I started sponsoring guys while I still had an ankle bracelet on. Wow. Uh, didn't have a lot of, that's another one of the uh, requirements that my sponsor told me, uh, the ground rules that when you get done with this, you're going to pass it on to new guys. I'm going to give you some tools that are very, very powerful. And once I give them to you, you're going to be responsible to pass them on to new guys. Of course, I can't hear that when I'm new either. And, uh, <laughs> uh, but he meant it. And when I tell my guy that, I mean it too. Uh, and because today that's what carries me.
uh, sponsoring guys through the steps is the foundation. And Bill says that in step 12, that this is the foundation stone of our recovery. I went through, uh, didn't have any, they ended up letting me out of home incarceration three months early. I went down one day and she said, uh, what do you think about it? we take that ankle bracelet off? And I'm like, don't play with me, Janine. <laughs> <I don't." laughs> and uh, she said, no, seriously, you're doing great, everything. And uh, with, we let people loose a little early if they're doing what they're supposed to be doing. I said, of course I do. Mm-hmm. I guess deer hunting camp down in Orange <laughs> County, Indiana, and I hadn't been able to go there for mm-hmm. nine months at all. I tried to get them to let me go down and check the place out mm-hmm. and make sure it's, you know, hadn't burned down or, right. and they wouldn't let me go. And I said to her, I said, and this was the beginning of November, prime time for uh, white-tailed deer season in this area. And I said, is there any chance I could go to the cabin? She said, yeah. That, no reason why you couldn't. She said, oh, the one thing that you're going to do, you're going to be on this day reporting thing. You're going to have to call me every day. I said, I'm going to call the guy that. every day for a long time. I can do that. No problem. And she let me go. And I did have her I did have her write me a note to make sure that if I did get pulled over or something, that they didn't run me through the system and see I was still on home incarceration because <laughs> I didn't get. But uh, I took two weeks off work and went down there. Uh, it was another one of these. Uh, I guess it's like when you get out of prison or something, that freedom. And then you throw this 12-step spiritual awakened freedom on top of it. Uh, I had a spiritual experience down there off of that. I served out my thing of home or or probation. Uh, In September of 18, my work wanted to send me, put me on a special team and wanted to send a bunch of us to Japan to do some uh, special technology they were buying from Mitsubishi. And... uh, I'm on, I'm on probation. And like the whole time, I, remember I told you I travel a lot? Mm-hmm. The whole time I was on home incarceration, I was scared to death they were going to ask me to go someplace, and they never did. Wow. <laughs> you know, I never got asked. I mean, I traveled once a quarter anyway mm-hmm. most of the time. Mm-hmm. And uh, and, they, and my boss never knew I was on in home incarceration either. They never knew. Wow. All I had to do is turn in my, if I was showing them pay stubs that I was getting paid, they assumed I was where I was supposed to be. And uh, I did have a couple times in a meeting where I was sitting in horseshoes, like tables with a projector on the wall, and and I'd see a guy looking down at my ankle, you know, and mm-hmm. oh, I had to pull that pant leg down mm-hmm. a little bit and get that thing covered up. Uh, and a couple people did come and ask me about it. I was supposed to get off on February of, of uh, it's February of 18, September of 17. Uh, they put me on that team, and we were going to go uh, to Japan later on in the month. And uh, I went and talked to my probation officer, and they said, no, nope. <laughs> uh, if you were, we'd maybe let you go to domestically someplace, but they're not going to let you go overseas. Mm-hmm. And I uh, said, okay. And then I thought, well, and my sponsor gave me another tool, you know, to, don't solve problems you ain't got. And uh, so it, it wasn't a problem yet. And the trip got postponed to the wow. following month. And the trip got postponed to the following month. And the trip got postponed to the following month. And I had I was off of probation on February the 18th of 2018. And uh, the 28th of February, I was standing on a hill in Japan, uh, in Nagasaki, Japan, looking at the nightscape and the sun setting over my shoulder. And you know, I, two weeks ago, I had to ask permission to leave the county. Mm. And uh, and and here I'm standing all the way on the other side of the world. And that, that another one of those things were. Um, this thing, when I got tuned into this higher power, spirit of the universe, whatever it is, uh, 
I don't have to worry about things anymore. You know, they just work out. I had a Thursday appointment that I booked, double booked on purpose and knew I was doing it. And I just didn't do anything about it. And I was like, well, I'll just deal with it when it, when it collides. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and the guy calls me and says, Hey man, I'm going to be late. It ain't going to be till the afternoon. And it just, this, I know it's just a little bitty thing, but the, it's like the skids are greased out through there. Uh, so after, you know, I'm what a little more than two years sober, my mom died while I was on home incarceration. Uh, I mean, while I was on probation, um, I was able to make, thankfully, was able to make amends. My sponsor uh, uh, told me about how important it would be that if I didn't do that before, I see guys pushing it out. And I'm like, dude, you don't want to push that out, man. She's still with us today. Uh, let's not let's not have to do an amend by a letter. Let's go talk to her. Uh, I don't know how much of it, you know, she was pretty pretty far gone. And, and it was it was pretty, it was tough uh under this and it's tough with your mom die period uh but under the circumstances of not being able to be there for dad in the way that i wanted to and for her the way i wanted to and um dad ended up having a tumor on his pituitary gland while i was still under uh mm -hmm. while i still was under their control and it was another thing that i had trouble with but but janine kept on coming through for me and uh She's actually later on, she's asking me about some, uh, I was telling her I was going to go to a meditation class at a local place over here. And, uh, she said, can I go with you? And, uh, so we ended up taking a uh, month long meditation classes together. And that's why I said, we become friends and uh, I don't know how that stuff happens like that. So many things are on my miracle list that I, if I, if I get them all out for a newcomer, they'll call bullshit. There's no way this much stuff happens to one guy. But today, uh, I didn't really, I thought I was special. See, of course this stuff happens for Dan. He's let's go on, He's aimed for sainthood, you know, after <laughs> so many good things started happening for me over and over again. But when I started to hand it away to other guys and just started watching these miracles happen in their lives, uh, God has blessed me. And, and I'll sit here and say, I use that word G-O-D. Because it just comes out easy today. Mm -hmm. I'll, I'll be the first person to tell you I have no idea what I'm talking about. <laughs> I, if you have me write a thesis on it and describe mm -hmm. what you're, I mean, I could write some stuff of what I think, but I'm a long way from thinking that I'm right. But there's something that I've got attuned to here. And when I watch these guys, I walk them through these steps and I watch them get attuned to it. Uh, I watch legal trouble fall off and I can tell them my story. You know, hey, don't get so body and don't close your hand on you're going to prison. Because guys that work East Step, it's my experience that guys that work East Steps and practice these principles in their daily lives, they don't go to jail. Um, and and uh, families reunite. You know, I've had a guy who was, his wife was taking pictures of him drunk, passed out on the front porch to build a case against him to uh, uh, divorce him. And the guy had a six-month-old little boy. And... Uh, and I caught him one day somehow. He was sitting in a parking lot with a bottle of whiskey and a, and a pistol. And I started, uh, I got on a yoga train for, uh, and, and was doing a lot of yoga. And I got involved in this thing, mixed 12-step recovery and yoga. It's called mm -hmm. Y12SR. Mm -hmm. And I was just hopped up. It leveled me up in my recovery. I was doing yoga and, and it was just making me feel as good as I've ever felt. And for some reason, I look up. I look upward a lot when I don't know what else it is. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. This this 
I got a nudge to call this guy and ask him if he wanted to go, to go do yoga. <laughs> and uh, I didn't know he was sitting in a parking lot with a bottle of vodka and a pistol. Uh, wow. And he answered the phone. That's enough miracle in itself. He answered right. the phone. And he remembers me saying, hey, dude, I just called to see if you might want to go do some yoga this afternoon. And, you know, he's like, that's the last fucking thing I was thinking about at that <laughs> right. moment. But it caught him. And it and it, he claims it stopped him. You know, it it gave him a, you know, I think so much of this stuff is like you're on a trajectory and something has to knock you off that trajectory or you're going to keep on going where you're going. And that phone call did that. And uh, and the guy follows, you know, I didn't know. I, 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 Christopher gave me tools on how to sponsor a guy and I just used that recipe to do it. And uh, his marriage is shaping up. And wow. uh, one little funny thing about that little kid is uh, today, if he sees me at the grocery store, or their that son that was five, five, six months old then. He's like five and a half now. Uh, Chase just celebrated five years of sobriety, and uh, if that little boy sees me, man, he will come running across the store and Dan, Dan, <laughs> and uh, jumps into my arms, and uh, and I can look in that little boy's eyes and I can tell that there's something he knows that I'm special to his dad somehow. Now he don't understand it, and they've since had another child, uh, and and the guy's just has a life that he could he couldn't dream of now as a result of this stuff and i don't take personal credit for it at any mm-hmm. level I, it's it's this program it's this mm-hmm. process that saved that uh and I, this sounds like bragging but i really my point is is the uh the effectiveness god's blessed me with these sponsees and uh what was it last friday night i take guys down to that cabin in the woods mm-hmm. to do fist steps that's how i do my step fist steps so wow. when it's time to do it and they're done with four, we schedule like a Friday night and we leave here like at four o'clock and we drive the hour down there. I always bring dinner and I usually, if I can, if the weather permits, I cook some steaks out on the fire out back and mm-hmm. we eat dinner and then we sit down and we do step five. I go to bed and I get in the directions for six and seven. And then when I wake up in the morning, I wake up with a different dude than I went to sleep with. I, I watch that that process shed Trans- off of these guys. That, yep. And uh, last Friday night was my 24th fifth step down there. Wow. And to me, that's phenomenal. That is amazing. It, it doesn't, it, it's, it's, it's unbelievable to me. Uh, so, Dan, let me, let me, I mean, what you've shared has, is remarkable. And you say these miracles. Um, and you are continuing to share what you've learned and the power of, kind of your experience and your steps because you host men's retreats as well as help yep. folks do yep. that um, we do that in and yoga so what i'm curious about is you know you began to listen once you started to listen then things started to change so when you're working with folks who are like hesitant to to do aa because of the god Right. Yeah. Um, and I don't. I'm not religious, or they'll they'll tell you all these things, and and they're like, well, I don't pray to God, I I don't know about this, you know, um, higher power, or I'm not religious, so I can't really relate. What would you say to someone about that who's struggling to get sober? The first thing I do is assure them that this has nothing to do with religion. This is not. It has absolutely nothing. When you, What has happened is that you've been trained since you were a little kid to believe certain things about what sure. higher power is. And, uh, and, and we get a chance to change that here today. 
And you don't have to believe in God to be in this program. You don't have to. There's even a line in there that says that all you have to do is be willing to believe. And uh, I change that around when I'm new. And step two has that thing that says, uh, uh, became willing to believe that power greater myself can restore us to sanity. Mm -hmm. uh, that power greater than yourself in there is like this program. Do you believe that this will work for you? And I have a host of men around me that I can say, because they can feel when they come to my home group meeting, they can feel it. Mm -hmm. I mean, we are so jacked up spiritually that, that mm -hmm. you can't escape the feeling. Uh, and I can point out these examples of people that, that they will feel. And, 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 and I'll say, hey, it worked for this guy and it worked for that guy and it worked for this guy and it worked for this guy. Uh, and I can say this other thing, man. I say, if you, uh, a guy told me this early on that I can guarantee you that if you have this thing called alcoholism and you work these steps and practice these principles in your life, your life's going to get a whole lot better. If you have this thing called alcoholism, it's a high likelihood that you do because you wouldn't be here with me right now. <laughs> uh, then if you don't, things are going to get a whole lot worse. And that's why it was my experience too. When I didn't do it, it got a whole lot worse. I like to say, we could take a modeling clay. We're going to go to Walmart, buy a big jug of modeling clay. And we're going to, and I know this sounds crazy to you. It does. It sounds crazy, but we're going to bring that jug of modeling clay home and we're going to allow you to brand new start some kind of higher power. Uh, you're going to be able to build your own one that will work for you. And if you would walk around here and interview these men in this room and ask them about theirs, no two are going to give you the same answer. Sure. sure. Uh, you get to do, you get to wash the faulty teachings off from that you've been carrying around that frankly haven't been working for you. Because mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. if a guy, one people that are real burrowed into their religion of their childhood, you know, and they're, 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 let's say, you know, around here, it's usually Christianity and Jesus Christ, and my Lord and savior. And I've had some sponsors that are really, really, dug in on believing that, you know, mm -hmm. and in fact, the matter, the, pr the problem is, is that although your beliefs are strong, it's not working right. <laughs> or you wouldn't be sitting here with me, but to brush, that's an, probably the number one obstacle is this whole God thing. And, and, mm -hmm. uh, trying to impress upon people that it's not what they think it is. It's, you know, I cuss a lot. Mm -hmm. I, I held my tongue here quite a bit, uh, you know, and I tell them, you know, I'm one of the most spiritual guys you'll meet. But I don't sound like one, do I? You know, uh, Bill's uh, uh, one of my favorite lines in there is, we are not saints. I'm so glad, Bill. I'm so glad that is not a requirement in 12-step recovery to be a saint because none of us are. Well, it was a pleasure for you to share your story and how you got to yes, meaning how you opened and said, yes, I want recovery. Yeah. Um, move beyond pretending to be sober and living in recovery. Very, um, it, it's never an easy path. No, and isn't. truly appreciate you being here and sharing in such great detail about what was going on for you because I think a lot of people can relate. So it's been a pleasure, Dan. Thank yeah, you so thank much. You. Thank you. Uh, one of the themes of the other element is pain. Pain seems to be a required element in this, and I hate that's, but that doesn't have to be the case, but that's where I got to was pain. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much again. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Recovery Plus Podcast. Fuck yesterday, focus on today. I'm your host, Dr. May Lee Hennon, celebrating and honoring people in recovery one conversation at a time. This podcast is sponsored by Red Door Coaching and Consulting. 
can find my podcast on Apple, Spotify, and Amazon. Thanks again for listening. Talk soon.